Rob Waller. I'm a consultant psychiatrist who lives up in not quite so sunny Edinburgh today, so it's a joy to be down here on the, on the, on the East Coast with you. I'm here with a, a friend, Jonathan Dean, um, who is working in sort of business and organizational psychology, and two of us have sort of put together some ideas for this stream looking at um, tackling the unspoken issues. So the first day we were sort of looking perhaps at the sort of black box of the Holy Spirit, you know, when we and the Holy Spirit helps people change. It's great if there's a miracle, but it's perhaps even greater if there's a miracle and an understanding of how that change happens so that you can do that change again next time you, you need one or, or, or help other people change. Uh, we were looking yesterday about, about staying alive, about how there's this sort of gap between getting saved and heaven and, and sort of what happens in the middle. And today we're looking at sort of healing, healing together, um, the idea that, that healing happens best in, in community. And my sort of reason for wanting to sort of bring this up as a topic is when I've seen healing done, done badly, bad healing doesn't equal healing not happening, but bad healing sometimes equals healing not happening plus the person feeling very isolated. So I guess that's why I'm wanting to sort of put this topic out there. And if there's a, a miracle, fabby do, often works out well but particularly if there isn't a miracle or if it's an ongoing journey of, of healing um you know it, it, we need to work out how to heal together so i guess what i would love everyone to leave with at the end of today is an understanding of perhaps some things they would do different in their church's healing ministry having thought about these topics and, and that's where we'll that's where we'll end up what would be great at the beginning is is just maybe to turn to the person next to you and just sort of say why are you interested in this seminar? Um, we're now on day four of focus, so that means you can definitely talk to the person next to you. I'm not going to sort of take any feedback on that, but talk to the person next to you, talking about healing together. You know, why, why are you here? Why are you interested in this? I think one of the really important things about focus is that we come together for a week to sort of get ideas on stuff, but please do keep talking afterwards. Please take some of the ideas home to your, your churches and let, let's just reflect on, on how this might affect us. The, the first thing to be very, very clear about is I, I do believe in, in supernatural healing. I'm a, I'm a charismatic. And uh, there's a number of reasons why I believe in healing other than the fact I've, I've seen it. Um, but one of those is that there is lots and lots and lots of healing in the Old Testament. So there are nine individual healings in the Old Testament. There's also one healing in the Apocrypha, if you dip in that, in the book of Ecclesiasticus. And then, of course, when, when Jesus is here, we see a lot. We see 26 individual healings, 19 multiple healings. I, I've got a little list of them in this book if you want to come and jot them down later, but there's, there's too many to tell you about. And then when the apostles start, there's 10 individual healings and seven multiple healings. So quite clearly we see healing as the part of Jesus' ministry, part of the Bible ministry. I also do believe it's part of God's plan that we are healed. Um, it's a bit more complex than that, as I'll come on to later, but I do very clearly believe that, that healing is part of God's plan. I also believe that healing works alongside prayer, medicine, and sometimes hope. So there's, there's a number of different ways in which God heals. So it's not just supernatural healing, but I guess that's one of the focuses of what we want to talk about today. 
The other thing is that, that healing was really responsible for the spread of the early church. Now, the early church spread for a number of reasons, partly because the apostles were very good evangelists. But one of the reasons that it spread was that it offered free prayer and healing to people. And back in those days, in the first couple of centuries, what you had was that healing was actually quite an expensive business. You had to take an ox to the temple, or you had to take something to the, to the Roman temple. Healing actually cost quite a lot of money. So the idea that that Christians were healing for free was actually very attractive and I think one of the things that got people interested in Christianity. Obviously at some point they had to stumble over Jesus but it, the historians say it's a big part of the spread of the early church is, is, is the healing ministry. But it's not just the miracles and um, I was at a seminar just before lunch, Graham, Graham Tomlin was doing on St. Basil and he, he was saying this, he said we are healed most when we are loved most. Love is the most healing things and this is where the Holy Spirit draws us into the love of God this is the real miracle and I guess the sense that you know what St Basil would have said is that actually an individual healing is the icing on the cake that the biggest miracle is when you and I are drawn into the healing love of God and that us as sinners have the ability to be recreated in the Imago Dei that is the foundational work of the Holy Spirit Supernatural healing is, is great, but it's not the primary role and task of the Spirit. So some of what I want to say happens in that context. And also the idea that if one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to, to bring us into the Father love of God by, by glorifying Christ, by illuminating the Word of God, to bring us into the Father love of God, isn't it a shame when healing happens in isolation or people feel lonely after healing ministry? And I've met lots of people who have been healed at healing ministry and their lives have been changed. I've also met lots of people who have gone for various different kinds of healing ministry, felt very alone afterwards and often left the church. And I see them as a psychiatrist because they often are living in the area that I'm looking after and they come, come to me quite, quite damaged by these experiences. And that's partly what I want to talk about today because their, their stories are often not involved in the church because we, we only hear from the people who receive a healing sometimes and stay in the church and their testimony is, 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 is called out. There's other voices that we need to be aware of. And I've put a slightly glib thing in your handout about what happens in conservative Catholic and charismatic churches um, when, when healing doesn't happen. Please take this as a ra- massive generalization. It, it's, not that, it's not that all churches within these denominations do it, but in my experience, these are some of the things that, that can happen. So if you're in a, a conservative church that perhaps doesn't have a regular discussion about the Holy Spirit, then you know, if you're struggling with your health, either your physical health, your emotional health, there's, there's quite a lot of, um, you know, it must, be, it, it, it must not be for, for me, you know, this thing isn't for me, and things are sort of sealed over and suppressed. And I sometimes think that, Quite a lot of people are in that sort of James Bond emotional desert kind of, I'm struggling with stuff, but we don't talk about that kind of stuff here because we're nice and British. And and certainly I've spoken to quite a few leaders in the conservative evangelical church who are worried about the sealed off, shut off emotional state of, of, of some of their leaders and actually want to see these things talk about it. But sex, religion, politics, mental health, you know, we don't discuss those things at the dinner table. And then sometimes in the, in the Catholic Church, if, if you're not experiencing healing, if, if, if you haven't done this, then there's the idea that something must have gone wrong. And I think, you know, there's this 
social generalisation that the Catholic Church is, is very good at engendering guilt in people, and unfortunately that can be true. Um, and the idea that perhaps some emotional strings are, are attached and people are sort of constantly drawn back, you know, I need to, you must have done something wrong, you need to go and do more confession, more repentance, you need to come back to church more. And quite a lot of guilt can be carried by people for many, many years, perhaps even people who have, have left that type of church and found another more active Christian community, hopefully within, within the Catholic Church or within other churches, they're still struggling with guilt from those years ago where they feel responsible for things not being sorted out. And then within the charismatic church, sometimes there's a sense that you have to keep trying, you have to keep going for this. And you see people going forward for healing time after time after time again. And I think there is a sense that we do have to be expectant about healing and keep pushing into that but there's also a sense that perhaps we have to be aware that at some level that can be quite a damaging activity for people because what happens is they do it for so long and then people begin to notice, oh, that person always goes forward for prayer. And, or I've been doing this for so long, maybe God, maybe I'm a really bad sinner, maybe God doesn't want to heal me, I've tried so hard, I've exercised my faith in, in some churches, you know, I've put money in the offering, I've, I've done so much and there's a lot of shame associated with non-healing in, in, in some of the charismatic and Pentecostal churches. Now, these things are not true for every single church, obviously, but there's, there's things that certain churches tend to get wrong, and I guess we just need to reflect on that and make sure we are not encouraging that. Now, one of the stories I wanted to share with you today is about a lady called, called Shelley Hundley, because I think she emphasizes really well her story, both the sort of excesses of the healing ministry and also how to get it right. Who, who's heard of IHOP, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City? About half of you, okay. Those of you who are aware of it will know that it is a very charismatic outfit, okay. They have 24-hour, I mean, we have 24-hour prayer, they have 24-hour healing rooms where you can go and get healed. They believe in prophecy. They are extremely charismatic. And their whole thing is about getting the church ready for the bridegroom to return. And they spend a lot of time very focused on, on heaven and, and the end times and what that means. They are very supernatural in their orientation. And what happened for Shelley, she was one of the founding people at IHOP. She was, she's now the director of their forerunner school of ministry, which is the place where they teach healing. That is where they teach it. What happened to her in her early 20s is she was diagnosed with something called Crohn's disease. And Crohn's disease is an inflammatory bowel disease where often several times a year you're struck down with extreme, very bloody diarrhea, very serious condition. The bowel can rupture. You have a number of operations. Usually you have to be on large doses of steroids and immunosuppressants. We're, we're not talking about a little bit of dicky tummy. We're, we're talking about a serious surgical condition. And she, for a number of years, had... had a number of operations. She was told by one doctor that she'd be lucky to live the next couple of years, she'd be lucky to walk without a wheelchair. During this time, she had lots and lots and lots of ministry. And she talks about it online in this blog article, and there's also an audio version you can get. And she had basically every single kind of ministry. So she had going forward for prayer at the end of the service, she had laying on of hands, she had soaking prayer, she had let's go on a pilgrimage prayer, thought let's go to Israel and try praying for healing in Israel, let's go through your past generations and look for things that your ancestors have done that we need to cast out. You name it, she had it. The funniest story was where 
basically because she was on the staff of IHOP, people used to come and I don't know if anyone's been to IHOP because they, they do offer sort of intern programs and you can go and stay for a week and things like that. Lots of people would come to IHOP and they would try and heal her. And her favorite story, she, she had a, a nose ring because she liked having a nose ring. But there was one, per, one couple who came to see her and they, they said, can we pray for you? And she went... Okay, I suppose I have to be nice. You know, I'm on staff here. I need to sort of let people try and pray for me every so often. And they spent about, you know, two hours, you know, listening to the Holy Spirit. And they got to the end and they said, it's, we've worked it out. It's your nose ring. It's the stirrup of Satan. He's riding it. And she just had this, and that's, that's why you haven't been healed. You must take out the piercing and be done with it. And she had this sort of crazy vision of Satan sort of riding her nose like a little pony. And... I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous that after two or three years of healing ministry, people were coming to her and saying, it's actually your nose ring because Satan's a jockey, and, and that's the issue, and if only you would take that out, you would be healed. Now, what actually happened was that her Crohn's disease settled a little bit. She wasn't in and out of hospital quite so much. She was able to travel, but she continued to struggle. About once a month, she would go forward for healing prayer at the end of the service, and it was 1 October. There was nothing special about it at all. She'd been doing this for about two years, and she just went forward, and she got healed. Full-on, proper, charismatic healing. And that is amazing, and that is the healing work of the Holy Spirit, but it happened in God's timing, with God's sovereignty. She was loved and accepted. She stayed on staff with an illness, even though she was teaching healing ministry. And there was that degree of love and acceptance and patience and working things out in community. And I think that's one great example of someone who's a famous healer. And I want to give you another a few examples of that. I've put some references down in your notes if, of times in the Bible when healing doesn't seem to happen. Because when I started looking into this, basically I was... Um, an elder in a church, and I was also training as a, as a psychiatrist, and I thought, well, I ought to start joining these two things up, start thinking about this. And I was also going to Abundant Life Church in Bradford at the time, which is a Pentecostal church, and I thought, well, you know, I was brought up a good Baptist boy, but I'm in a Pentecostal church now. I better think a bit more about this healing thing in the same way I thought a bit more about, about tongues and, and things like that because I was going to a Pentecostal church. And I was looking through the Bible, and one of the really interesting things about the Bible is no one appears to die of an illness. They, you know, they're martyred, they die of old age, but very few people seem to die of an illness. And I thought, does this mean that if we're being good as Christians, no one in church should have an illness, no one in church should die young, all Christians should live to be 320 like Noah, etc. You know, and I, that was the sort of big picture. And I thought, well, I'm sure that's not right. So I began looking at it a bit more. And there's just a few verses here. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. Paul says, outwardly we are wasting away. And I think there's something in here, isn't there, about understanding infirmity and old age and our knees not working quite so well as we get older and perhaps not trying to heal that, if that makes sense, you know, and just saying that is part of getting older. So, I mean, yeah, if you want to, pray for a bit less pain and, you know, so that you can carry on serving God. Great. But there's a sense that as life, we do waste away outwardly. And perhaps that is God's plan for us. I'm sure it's not his wish for us, because I guess he wishes we were still in Eden and that the fall hadn't happened. But short of Jesus' return, we will continue to get older. 
There's a verse, 2 Corinthians 7, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 9, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Now, I'm not entirely sure what the thorn in the flesh was, whether it was a physical illness, a mental illness, whether it was an emotional difficulty like pride. I'm not quite sure. People have said, is it a sexuality thing? I don't think it was that, but some people think it was that. But, but what's quite clear with Paul's thorn in the flesh is that it wasn't healed. I pleaded with God three times for him to take it away, and he didn't. He left me with this messenger of Satan. So this example of Paul has been unable to affect healing or transformation or change for his thorn in the flesh. Philippians 2, 25 to 27, Epaphroditus was ill and almost died. Now, in Jesus' ministry, Lazarus did die, but Jesus woke him up immediately as he got there. Whereas this was like top notch. We had all the bishops on stage, didn't we, last night? Imagine that, right? Lots of bishops praying for this guy. And he almost died. Now, he was actually healed by, by God's mercy, it says in the Bible. He was actually healed, but he almost died. And I wonder how frantic the healing ministry got, uh, I guess was what I was thinking when I was reading about that. There's also um, 1 Timothy 5:23. Paul encourages Timothy to take a little bit of wine. It's the great encouragement in the New Testament, isn't it? Take a little bit of wine for your stomach and for your frequent illnesses. So Timothy obviously struggled with frequent illnesses despite being, you know, top-notch church leader from that time. And 2 Timothy 4, verse 20, Paul left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Paul had to carry on with his missionary journey, and he left someone behind sick who he wasn't able to heal. I imagine he tried, but he, he wasn't able to heal. And we don't know the outcome of that story. We don't know whether, whether he lived or died or was healed later. So there are examples in the Bible when healing doesn't happen. And I guess... I guess we all know that, and I guess we've all seen situations where healing doesn't happen, but I think sometimes when I've seen healing ministry done badly, it's with a, if you had enough faith, this will definitely happen today. And it's like, well, no, Scripture, scripture doesn't say that. There's also a few people who, um, there's a friend of mine who's a charismatic pastoral, pastoral theologian. He was working as a, a Langham scholar. John, John Stott asked him to do a PhD on an Indian guy called Dinakaran, who I'll come back to later. And, and Chris is an amazing charismatic teacher. And he, he came up with this idea of wounded healers that, that Dinakaran came up with as well. It's, I think it's a Jungian archetype. But, but the idea here is that to be a healer doesn't necessarily mean that you will be healed. And there's a few examples of that. So people like John Wimber, David Watson, two of the great people associated with charismatic renewal and new wine in this country... Both of them died of cancer before their time. David Watson actually wrote a book during his time when he was dying of cancer. I'm blessed if I remember the title of it. It's Hear No Evil. Fear, Fear No Evil. Thank you. And it's a wonderful book because here you have one of the guys who brought the healing ministry to the UK in the 70s and the 80s dying of, of cancer and unable to be healed. Smith Wigglesworth, the great healer from um, Bradford, um, I have to, have to tell you a, a Smith Wigglesworth story. He, was, um, he had a Yorkshire accent, so forgive me, but I lived in Yorkshire for 10 years. He was, he was doing a prayer line, and people had lined up for him to pray for them. And he was going along, and he prayed for this lady, and he prayed for the next man. And he came up to this sort of 70-year-old guy and said, what do you want prayer for? And this, by the way, is not, not how to do healing ministry. Okay. The 70-year-old guy said, um, I've got a dicky heart. I want you to pray for me. And Smith Wagglesworth punches him in the chest and says, be healed. 
<laughs> like this, be yield. And the guy drops on the ground, dead. <laughs> and he carries on. And he's three or four people down the line. And the people are sort of saying, he's dead. He's dead. What do we do? So they go up to Smith and say, excuse me, he's dead. He's not. He's healed. Like this. He's healed. And he had such tremendous faith. And actually about five minutes later, this guy got up and he was healed. But my understanding is that he was clinically dead for a while. And he had this tremendous faith, Smith Wigglesworth. And there is a H in healed. Um, But he grew blind. His daughter had polio and, and heart failure. You know, there was illness in his family, and part of his desire and passion for healing came because he was a wounded healer, both himself with his own wounds, carrying the marks of the fallen world as he suffered with his own illness, and also those around him. And the same happened with Denacheron. Now, Denacheron, if, if you think Billy Graham is big, Denacheron is bigger, okay? The only reason that perhaps you haven't heard of him is because he speaks in Hindi. Who, who's heard of Denacheron? Then I've been to India. A couple been to India, but next time you go to India, ask about Dinakaran. He is absolutely huge. We had God TV. He had Christian TV in India 10 years before that. He's founded six universities, eight hospitals. He has an enormous healing ministry. He's planted 50 or 60 mega churches throughout India. This, this guy is absolutely huge. And like I say, because he... Because he speaks in Hindi, because part of what he does is towards the prosperity end of the spectrum. Perhaps we haven't heard of him in this country, but, but he is absolutely huge. And this is the guy who John Stott asked my friend Chris to, to do a PhD on. And I'll give you the web reference for the PhD if you want to read about it later. But he had a number of severe illnesses during his early life in Nakarin. He almost died on a number of occasions. His, his daughter was killed in a road traffic accident when he was a teenager. And his wife had a number of miscarriages. And he's actually quite open about this as times when he was unable to heal. And what, what Dinakaran believes is that because he is wounded, he's more able to help those who are in need of, of healing. And he points us in this to, to Jesus, who is a wounded healer. Jesus died on the cross because he made himself available for abuse. He, he willingly, because he loved the world so much, he was able to be killed by people who didn't love the world as much. He, he was wounded in that sense for us. He, his understanding of the love of God that I was talking about earlier was that he went to the cross for us. And because he was wounded himself, it says, doesn't he, in Isaiah, one of those great healing verses, Isaiah 53, for our stripes, he was healed. And actually, I've, I think perhaps we underestimate what Jesus' stripes are doing. It's not just the flailing on the cross. It is entering into the suffering of mankind, experiencing our loss, experiencing our betrayal. In that wounding, he's able to be a healer for us. But I suppose my main point in saying this is there's examples in the Bible where men of amazing faith have not seen healing. There's examples in recent history where men of amazing faith with established healing ministries have not seen healing. I'm going to... um, be quiet for a little bit and what I'd like you to do is get in groups and um, for those of you who came in a little bit later we were joking that healing together means coming to a seminar together so I'm going to ask you to to buddy up to the people next to you and what I'd like you to do is just think back to times when you've seen healing ministry how it's been done well how it's been done badly and that might be specific healing ministry at the end of the service for example or it might be just um, you know healing that you've seen 
people praying for healing in your own house, stories of healing that you've heard, examples of when it's been done well and examples of when it's been done badly. Do you want to just get into groups of, of three or four? I'll give you five minutes for that. Store, store some of those things up because um, at the end of the seminar I want you to sort of make a note of perhaps three things that you're going to do differently and perhaps you can sort of draw on those then. What I want to do just for a little bit is, is, is talk about a sort of slightly wacky idea that I've come up with which helps me remember that, that healing is complex. And I've, I've called it the healing cube. Now I appreciate a cube has six sides but you can only see three of them at any one time. Um, so that's my excuse. I'll stick in 2D. Um, but the, the, the sort of three, three sides are the sort of directions or domains of healing, up, in, and, and out. Um, the tenses of healing, past, present, and future, which depend to a certain extent on how much of heaven happens now, if that makes sense. And also the sort of bodies or the parties who are involved in healing, um, Often healing can seem quite an individual thing. It's up to that person to, to go forward for prayer. That person has to deal with it if it doesn't happen, etc. And thinking about healing together, there's more than just that person in, involved in healing. So, so the sort of healing cube is a sort of idea. And I guess whenever I see myself getting unbalanced, so for example, I'm overemphasizing one bit of that, I have to remember that this is other two, other two facets as well. What I've done is sort of put them out in, in three lines for you there because I couldn't get PowerPoint to do a nice cube. Sorry about that. Um, but the, the sort of directions of healing, up, in, and out. This, this might be something that you've sort of heard about before. If anyone's looked at sort of Rob, Rob Bell's stuff at Mars Hill, Mars Hill Bible Church, they, they, they sort of base their ministry around these, these directions. And the idea that up, our relationship with God has been healed... In our relationship with ourself is, has, has been healed. You know, I know that I'm a child of God, addressing shame, guilt, that kind of thing, illness, relationship with my body, and, and out, you know, my relationship with other people, work, the environment. So, so what you see in, in, in Genesis chapter 3 is not just a fall in our vertical relationship with God. You also see work becomes toil. We hide from people. Adam and Eve are not happy in their own skin. They cover themselves with, with fig leaves. Um, the environment begins to, to decay. Um, these various different things are happening. And then actually, you know, when restoration comes, uh, Titus 3 tells us that when you work, you work as for the Lord. We have restored relationships with our bodies. If anyone didn't hear Christopher West talking about the theology of the body at the leadership context on, based on some of John Paul II's work, Fantastic words about restoration of the body. Vertical relationship, yes, with, with God is restored, but also in community with the church. So the salvation narrative of the Bible starts off with a fall, ends up with a restoration, you know, with Jesus, and one day we will be taken to heaven. And we're in those middle times. But, but healing is part of the salvation narrative. So the words for, for sal- salvation and, and healing are very similar, both in the Greek and the Hebrew. If you look at concordances, they're often translated and juxtaposed and placed in each other's places. So, so things that apply to salvation also apply to the healing ministry. 
Does that make sense? So, so there is this sort of up. You know, I am healed in my relationship with God. I am healed in my relationship with myself. And I'm also healed in my relationship with other people. And I guess I was sort of thinking that often in, in healing ministry, it is about, you know, the big C, cancer, or something like that. You know, my relationship with my body, or, 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 or trying to heal people from depression or, 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 or mental illness. And perhaps remembering that actually healing is a bigger thing. It's up, in, and out. The next idea is the sort of idea about tenses. And you, you might have heard this with salvation, the idea that um, I have been set free from the penalty of sin because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. I am being saved through the power of sin because the Holy Spirit helps me to resist Satan. And I will be saved one day from the presence of sin because I will be in heaven. And one of the characteristics of heaven is that there isn't any sin. You can do the same thing with healing. So, for example, you can say, healing has been made possible, Isaiah 53, verse 2, by his stripes we are healed, and we see that most clearly at the cross. Healing has been made possible. I am being healed today in a variety of different ways by a variety of different things. I will one day be healthy when I receive my resurrection body. And there's often the joke made on the beach at Focus that some people think they've received their resurrection bodies already. But for most of us, we will receive our resurrection body in in the future. So I have been given the ability for healing. I am being healed. I will be healthy and and live forever. That is the promise. So the degrees to which that happen depend to quite a lot on our church tradition. And I, I had it explained quite helpfully to me sometimes, which is some part of the church believe that Heaven is for the future, and apart from the signs and wonders we saw with the apostles, we don't see anything of heaven now. All of heaven is in the future. Classically, the more conservative evangelical part of the church. The Pentecostal side of the church is the other end of the spectrum where heaven started yesterday and we are living effectively in heaven. And the only significant event in the future is that there's no more sin at some point and no more temptation. And heaven, everything in heaven is available to us now. Literally everything. Charismatics often a middle ground where to a greater or lesser extent we can experience part of heaven. We can experience healing. We can experience words of knowledge. We can experience the gifts of the Spirit, etc. But it's to a greater or lesser extent. So one of the things you might want to think about with healing is, are we over-realizing our eschatology, is the technical phrase, an over-realized eschatology where we're expecting too much of heaven to happen now? We've got to leave some stuff for when there is no more tears and there's no more sea and the Lamb himself is the light. We've got to leave some stuff for that. Or are we under-realizing our eschatology where we don't believe at all in the ability for supernatural things to happen? And there is a spectrum, and there are many, many, many Christians across the world at each of those different points of the spectrum. I'm not sure there's a right point. Perhaps the most humble thing to do is to sort of see a spectrum and make sure that we are not committing the follies of a particular point on that spectrum. The third area is these bodies, who is involved in healing. And I was saying that, you know, classically healing is perhaps seen as the person's responsibility. You know, if the person is not being healed, it could be because they haven't dealt with sin in their life. They haven't um, gone forward for prayer enough. And that is true to a certain extent, isn't it? You know, if healing is, I've, I've met some people who are waiting for God to heal them, but they've never gone forward for prayer. And I mean, I was, had a similar experience myself when I, when I first started to speak in tongues. I'd been praying 
for a couple of years for God to give me the gift of tongues. And someone said to me, have you ever actually asked for ministry in this area? And I went, no, I don't need that church leader. It should just come to me. Um, and actually, it was on the day that I went forward for ministry that I began to speak in tongues. But the really interesting thing is that God wasn't going to give me the satisfaction of it happening at that meeting. It happened about half past 11 that night when I was at home by myself and nobody was going to see. So, so, but there is a sense in which you have to go forward. But it's not just the person. There's at least two other bodies. And those people are really where the meat of this seminar is. One of those other bodies is God and his sovereign decision to heal or not heal. And we have to bear that in mind. We cannot force God or force his hand. God is no man's debtor. He doesn't owe us anything. That's what C.S. Lewis said. I'll come back to the sovereignty of God. But there's also the sense that other people have a responsibility for healing. So, So God has given healing as a gift. And he's given certain people gifts of healing. And if healing is not happening, one of the questions we have to ask is, where are the healers? Where are those who have the charismata of healing? In the same way that if leadership is not happening, Jesus' attention is going to be on the blind guides in the New Testament, isn't it? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, so if we are seeing a lack of healing in the church, perhaps rather than making the poor person feel as though they're not trying hard enough, we need to be saying, where are the healers? We need to be exercising more healing ministry in the church. And that's, some people, obviously, that's their thing. So Dinakaran. David Watson, that was a big part of their ministry. For others of us, it may just be praying for your neighbor at the end of a service. But we have at some point to say, where are the healers? And this is the idea of the healing community, isn't it? Which is that the community of the church is the expression of God's love and will therefore be the most healing thing. And I'm going to play you, I, just, I was going to play you a, a, a DVD, but we cannot do DVDs here. So I'm going to play you just a three or four minutes of a lady's testimony from the years that she experienced in a healing community, perhaps as an example of how it might be done. But I do just want to draw and delay for a moment on this idea about God's sovereign power. One of the great quotes I remember from John Stott is that he refused to separate Savior and Lord. He said these two words usually come together in the New Testament. And I guess you perhaps all had that experience where you want God's salvation, but you don't necessarily want his lordship over your life. So you're quite happy to have your sins forgiven, but the whole idea that he might actually be in charge and want all of you. I gave to Christ all there was of me. That's what General Booth said in the Salvation Army, wasn't it? So, so the idea that the Savior and Lord need to go together. And what John Stott said, he's Savior because he is Lord. He's able to set us free from death because he is the Lord of sin and death. Does that make sense? If Jesus Christ can't beat death and is not in charge of death, he can't save us from it. And likewise, he's saviour and healer because he is Lord. So, So this idea that the reason healing works is because God is sovereign and in charge of the universe. Healing does not work because we have an emotional froth and we whip it up. Healing does not work because we demand that God heal and we somehow exercise our muscles of faith. Although faith and prophecy and other things do happen in proportion to our faith in the Bible, don't they? So there is our faith is important. But the thing that makes healing work in exactly the same way that makes salvation work is that God is sovereign. And somewhere in there is this idea that 
because God is in charge, that's why it all happens. And therefore, because God is in charge, sometimes it doesn't happen. But you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't have 100% healing and a sovereign Lord who's in charge of the universe, who makes healing possible. You can't have both and. And that's maybe just something to have a bit of a, a think about. And an extension of that, my friend Chris Nanakin, who was doing this PhD on, on Dinakar, and he, he comes up with these two phrases that ultimately all of the big questions boil down to. And I, I wonder if healing boils down to these two phrases. And actually, the big debates in the church, you know, predestination versus free will, the big debates at that boil down to these two phrases. God is too kind to do us harm and too wise to make a mistake. And if we're experiencing harm and suffering, somehow we have to see that behind that is a kind God who actually does not want to do those things to us. It's just there's other things going on that we can't see. And likewise, he is too wise to make a mistake. And there will be times when we all think that God probably is making a mistake on this one, but we need to stand back. And in time, we usually come to the view that he didn't make a mistake that was actually for our best. So, so God's sovereign power is what makes healing possible. And that has to include the possibility that healing doesn't, doesn't happen. So just thinking what does gracious healing look like? If, if, if God's sovereign power, if, if the cross and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity of God is, is very much at the center of all that we have in healing, what does gracious healing look like? And talked a little bit about you know, using a healing gift. And using a healing gift is not about the results. Now, there are some people who will consistently have successful results, shall we say, and they may see themselves as called to a healing ministry. But it's not primarily about the results. It's a gift. It's given, you know, in the same way that gifts of of service and other spiritual gifts, it's not about the results. It's about the gift because the results will come and go because the Sovereign Lord... Is, is behind the gift. There's also this idea that I think sometimes when people haven't been healed, they get looked at slightly weirdly in the church. That person's been forward for healing an awful lot and they haven't been healed. I wonder what's going on. I think that makes God cross. Because actually, that it, it's, it's a relationship between that person and him and the healer. What we shouldn't do is automatically assume that that person is doing something wrong. It may be actually that God is is being sovereign in this situation and saying, not yet. And whether yet is in a couple of years or whether yet is heaven, we we don't know. So stigma around non-healing angers God. And also this idea that there's a lovely line in a verse in a song by Chris Tomlin. He says, his name is Jesus. He understands. And there's a number of senses in which Jesus understands because he came down to be a man. But Jesus also understands what it's like to be wounded, despised, rejected, to carry stigma, to offer himself willingly to stripes. Okay, he understands suffering. And I think that's really important if we're going to understand gracious healing is that we understand the suffering of God. Okay. I want to play you a clip for a few minutes and then just for the last little bit, just, just think perhaps about three things that we might take away that are differently. And I've put a um, link on your handouts, minusol.info forward slash healing. Now, this is not my material particularly. This is the material for some people called the Christian Fellowship of Healing in Scotland. And they're a fairly small 
group of people. And actually the church has, has now closed and they've chosen to disperse their gifts into churches around Scotland. But they spent 20 or 30 years doing a large amount of thinking about what it means to be a healing community. And if you want to go and have a look at info forward slash healing, there's a lot of writing, testimonies, stories, and there's also about an hour's video about, of which I'm going to play you a small audio clip. The video is slightly old school because that's their style, but I'd encourage you to, to look beyond that and see if you can get some of the wisdom in that. My name is Kirsty Urquhart, and... I think I should tell you I'm aged 81. That seems important to me because it was nearly 40 years ago when I was first led along to the fellowship. Sometime before that, um, my husband had died, aged 39, and I had three young children, 10, Uh, 6, 10 and 12 and I would like to say to you that I did my best but I didn't and in many ways I let these children down here I was in a mess in a deep dark slimy pit of my own making and so held down by guilt, remorse, regret, and the overall feeling that God could never forgive me. He could never forgive me. And the words that kept hammering in my head were, I should be cast into the deepest sea, for I had harmed these little children. And so I really came to the point where I wanted to die. I was led along to the fellowship in the time of the Reverend Ian Cowie in the early 70s. Um, and I felt it was a hopeless, what was, what was this place? And I was met all these lovely people and I thought, oh my goodness, these lovely people, I bet they've never done anything wrong in their lives and they're Christians and they're, they're all so good. I don't know what I'm doing here. That kind of thing. As time went on, I, I went back there occasionally, but without any hope. I didn't know that these people, after I left, were praying for me. I didn't know that. I offered myself uh, as the prayer secretary, a position which was vacant at that time and I was accepted so that was the beginning of 35 years of being prayer secretary being a full member of the fellowship then I experienced the full love and acceptance these people accepted me warts and all and this was an, an unbelievable truth for me. I have been very privileged to have had a very full and fruitful life in the fellowship, making friends and having experiences which I could not have had anywhere else. 
But the most important thing, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ in a real way and being able to trust him and know that he's there no matter how many faux pas I make now or in the future. It's just a lovely story and it's even better when you see it on the video because she's one of those little bright-eyed, I think I should start off by telling you I'm 81 years old. I just love that. What a great way to kick off a testimony. Um, one of the things that, that got me interested in this was, was this book, which I'd seen on Amazon. It, it, it's called God's Healing Community, and I thought, well, this is quite interesting, isn't it? There's a book written about God's healing community, and it was a couple of years before I got hold of it, and I've read quite a few books on healing, and I thought, I'm particularly excited about this one, because it's going to tell me what I want to know. It's actually a very good book on healing, but it's got 12 wonderful chapters, but there's absolutely nothing on community and, until chapter 11. And I thought, oh. It's quite interesting, <laughs> given that's what's in the title. So I was, I was slightly disappointed. Um, what I thought we might do, perhaps, just for the last two or three minutes that we're together, is actually write that chapter. And what I'd like you to do is just get back into your small groups um, and maybe just think about three things you will do differently in your life, in your healing ministry, or that you would like to see in a healing ministry near you as a result of some of the things we've discussed in this seminar. So just a a few minutes doing that, and then we'll take a little bit of feedback. So off you go, just into your groups for a few minutes. Okay. Okay, thank you. Better be drawing things to a close just there. we just come up to half past. I probably haven't got back to time to hear back from everybody, but hopefully this is you know a book that you guys are going to carry on writing in your churches. Just to finish with one quote uh, from, from this book, God's Healing Community. It's too romantic to consider the church as a community of healing if only physical healing is involved. The church is a community of healing in relation to the total concept of salvation and health. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming along. All the best as you go back. Another couple more days of focus. Tomorrow we're doing food and on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, I think we're doing addiction. So please do come to those two seminars as well. But I'm going to run up the road to Edinburgh now. Quite happy to stay around and take some questions at the end. But thank you very much for coming.